That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Joel 1, 4. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Joel 1, 15. Lord willing, we're going to be looking at a series of three lessons on the book of Joel as I'm preaching, uh, I don't know when my next time of preaching is, but whenever I fill in ne- or sign up next, that'll be the lesson number two, Lord willing. But in that three-lesson series, we're going to be looking at the concepts of destruction, deliverance, and division. This morning, we're going to be considering the concept of destruction. Destruction was coming. And as you know, and I know, Paul has told us, Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hopes. When we look at back at these, these prophets and these other Old Testament books, you and I stand to, to, to gain a great deal of knowledge and of understanding and of helpful, uh, a helpful understanding to help us in our lives and living for God faithfully. As we think about Joel, I want us to kind of remind ourselves or look at the the context first. Remember that Joel was preaching during the period of the divided kingdom. And the divided kingdom took place 1 Kings 12 to 2 Kings 17. It's a period of about 250 250 years. There are 19 kings in the north and 19 in the south, plus Athaliah who usurped the throne for seven years. And you remember that the, the significant event that took place in the period of the divided kingdom is Jeroboam's corruption of God's pattern of worship. 1 Kings 12, 25 and following says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem and Mount Ephraim and went out from thence and built Penuel. And then Jeroboam, he said in his heart, If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto Rehoboam, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. Jeroboam led, put Israel on the path headed for destruction and they never got off of that path. First Kings 14, 16, and he shall give Israel up for the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and who made Israel to sin. That's talk, speaking from God's perspective, he's going to give Israel up because of Jeroboam's sins, because of Israel walking in the pathways of Jeroboam and the same idea is re, is emphasized again in 2 Kings 17, 21 to 23. Judgment was coming. Destruction is coming. Their sin had brought them problems. As we looked at a moment ago, Joel 1, 4, that which the palmer worm hath, hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. They were in the midst of the, they were in the throes, if you will, of devastation, of destruction already to a degree. The locusts had come and were, had devastated their land, but God is calling upon them to repent because if they don't, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Their sin had brought about their problems. Chapter 1, verses 16 and following. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. 
The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Their sin had brought them into their problems. God had warned them, if you take a look back in Deuteronomy 28, God had warned them of this. You remember whenever they were preparing to go into the promised land, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their lack of faith. And that generation who had wandered was dying off. And there were those that were 20 and older weren't going to be able to enter the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. And so now you have this group that's getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses is spending his last month preaching unto them in Deuteronomy. His last month of his life preaching because Deuteronomy covers two months. One month Moses preaching and one month they mourn over Moses' death. Well, in Moses' preaching in chapter 28, beginning in verse 38, he says, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shalt neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. And then in verse 42, All thy trees and fruit of thy land shall the locust consume. Verse 45, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed. Remember, destruction is coming. Because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep His commandments and His statutes, which He commanded thee. And then verse 58 if thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. So their disobedience is what led them to this. In verse 62, And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. Moses lays it out very plainly, tells Israel, as they're preparing to go into the promised land, that if you go into that land and you leave God behind, you become unfaithful to God, you become disobedient to God, you will reap what you've sown. You will suffer destruction and devastation. And among that, the locust plague, as promised in Deuteronomy and fulfilled in the book of Joel. This morning, as we look at this idea of destruction, we want to look at three main things. Destruction is coming, and that is, it's a punishment from God, number one. Number two, it is nigh, as in it is close and near. And number three, no one can abide it. Destruction is coming. It's a punishment from God. It is nigh and no one can abide it. So in the first place, this destruction is from God. And I want us to keep in mind something very important when we're looking at the book of Joel. They were already in to a level of, to a degree, they were already suffering devastation. They were already suffering some level of destruction, as he says. But there was more to come, perhaps more regarding the locust plague itself, but also eventually, as we know, it would happen with Israel, captivity. So it was going to get worse if they did not turn around. But this punishment was meant to correct them before the final punishment. Now, when I say final punishment... I'm not talking at the, about the final judgment day just yet, although that's always in the background of what we're saying when we talk about judgments from God. 
That's always ultimately where you're headed if we're disobedient to God. But they were this locust plague was meant to turn them around in Leviticus chapter 26. I'm not going to turn there, but in Leviticus chapter 26, similarly to Deuteronomy 28, God had enumerated one devastation or problem or judgment or punishment after another. And along the way, he said, and if you don't turn when that happens, I will do worse to you. And if you don't turn whenever that happens, it will get worse. And if you don't turn when that happens, it will get worse. But God wanted them to turn. God had sent Joel to them to correct them. He told them to turn, Joel 2 verse 4. And you think about God sending Joel to them with his message is in, exact, is in exact alignment with how God has always been and how he is with us today. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants man to repent. He wants man to to turn around, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God wants man to turn. This punishment was meant to correct them. It was He's sending Joel to them after, now that their minds have been pricked with their situation and now he's getting, he wants them to, be, to turn from their ways of evil and turn to God. This affliction was meant to turn them around. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom he loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. See, God loves us, therefore God corrects us. God loves us, therefore God chastens us. This was meant to be a correction, something that would cause them to turn around, to change their way. Thus, Joel sent preaching. And again, the preaching of the word of God is always meant to be, it's always meant to help people in their relationship with God, and sometimes that includes corrective Situations. Sometimes that includes rebuke. You remember how Paul told Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, the instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 4, 4. And you remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God this was not yet the final 
judgment. It was meant to be corrective in nature. And you think about other situations in the past where God has done this. Why would God go to Cain after he made his false offering and ask him what he had done and say, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Was not God in his rejecting of Cain's offer, his offering, he was correcting him. Was not the 40 years wilderness wandering? Those people were allowed to live another 40 years thinking about what had happened and what had gone wrong and where they had made the wrong choice. And now they could correct that. They didn't die suddenly in that state and situation. Now, don't get me wrong. Some did because of their actions that exceeded others. But as a general rule, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, getting to think about their correction, getting to make those corrections. Think about how Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, but he was told that about his disobedience when he struck the rock instead of dying in rebellion to God. It was a momentary lapse for Moses. God allowed him the chance to repent. Punishment from God is coming. It comes for individuals here and now. We reap what we sow. It comes for nations here and now, as it was coming for Israel at that time. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, 34. So when you and I look around and we see and know what our nation is doing and has done, we know it's spitting in the face, to, in the face of God. We know it's shaking its fist in God's face and daring God, as it were, to do something to them thinking that they know better, thinking that they are better, thinking that they are superior. God will deal with our nation when the time is right. And eventually God deals with everyone at the judgment. So punishment from God is corrective. Number two, the destruction that they were going to experience was nigh. In Joel, if you take a look back in Joel chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Joel was telling them, it is nigh at hand. It is soon to come. They didn't have long. <clears throat> they couldn't deliver themselves from this. It was coming and there wasn't anything they could do about it. Other than repent, of course. Think about Jonah going to Nineveh. Jonah 3 verse 4, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is pretty nigh. If you're told by a prophet of God, you have forty days until you're overthrown. That's pretty nigh. Whenever... Jesus said, this night thy soul shall be required of thee to the rich fool. His judgment was nigh. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar's son saw the handwriting on the wall in the book of Daniel that very night, his captors came, his conquerors came. 
In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about two very different subjects. One, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, and two, he talks about the second coming. And he draws a distinct line between the two subjects. And in Matthew 24, 34, you read this. He says, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So their judgment was nigh when it came to the judgment spoken of in Joel. The devastation with the locusts, the further devastation of the locusts, I should say. The eventual captivity, 2 Kings 17, when they were carried off by Assyria. You know, when you think about Israel as a nation and God and how he deals with nations, think about how in our very text here, Matthew 24, that we just looked at, Jesus is foretelling their destruction, which, as you know, took place in A.D. 70. That was it. That was it as a nation. There had been, God had carried away, God had taken Israel into the wilderness out of Egypt. He had brought them into the promised land, warned them all along the way. He had dealt with them all along the way in the promised land with various punishments, various corrections, sending the prophets unto them. And then finally, they split into two kingdoms and then Israel had had, had, had exhausted God's long suffering. They were carried off into captivity. Second Kings 17. Judah stands alone for 135 years because of her righteous, several righteous kings, but even she was eventually carried off into captivity. Babylonian captivity. But then they came back. In the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you read about the return. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all preached during those periods of the return. So they came back. But think about in A.D. 70, God said it is done as far as you as a nation. You're finished. That helps me when I think about how to understand at least how God deals with nations. I understand that there's a little more to it with Israel as far as carrying out the scheme of redemption, right? The Christ coming, but still... God has always worked with nations and he's working with ours, even though ours would hate to admit it. And just like he told Abraham, Genesis 15, 16, when he was giving him an idea of the timing of his seed going into the promised land, he said, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God was working with the Amorites at that very time, working with them, being long suffering with them. And thus he's been long suffering with people for all of time until they exhaust his long suffering. Jonah was 40 days, it was 40 days off if they didn't repent, and you know they did, and they were spared until later. Jesus said, This night thy soul shall be required of thee, Luke 12, 15 to 21, speaking to the rich fool. He told him, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then in verse 21 he says, so is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You remember how the rich fool said, well what do I do with all this? I'll tear down, I can't even store it all. I'll tear down my barns and build greater. And that's when Jesus said, thy fool or thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then in Matthew 24, this generation shall not pass Till all these things be fulfilled, the destruction of Jerusalem. This generation, the timing was nigh. The timing was soon. 
The judgment recorded in Joel was not only corrective and from God, it was not only nigh, but it was something that no one could abide. Joel 2.11 he says, the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Remember the original meaning of the word terrible. We've taken the word terrible and meant it to mean it tastes bad or it is not good or we don't like it. Terrible means here it's going to be awe-inspiring in a negative fashion. It will be bad. And it's going to be no one will be able to abide it. The only way out was their repentance. Verses 12 and 13, the two, the two following verses, he says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Their only way out was repentance. You think about in, in Egypt, whenever they were preparing to exit Egypt, Whenever that tenth and final plague was going to be executed by God, the only way out was the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. If you did not have blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, your firstborn was going to die. The only way out whenever it was time for the flood to come was entrance into the ark, Genesis 6 to 9. The only way out after they had been bitten by the serpents was to look at the brazen serpent, Numbers 21, 5 to 9. And the only way out now for whenever the Lord comes again is the church. Remember how Paul said to the Ephesians, <coughs> Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verses 25 and following, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be without blemish. The church is our only way out. That's why whenever the gospel was preached in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when those that obeyed the gospel, it says this about them, Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church Daily such as should be saved. The only way out is the church. The only way whenever the Lord comes the second time that we are going to make it out. No one can abide it except we're in the church. We've been faithful to God. Judgment is coming and we don't know when. And we've got to be ready. But the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 2 Peter 3.10 Back to Matthew 24 whenever he said that all these things would come before that generation passed away. Then in verse 35 he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He said, but of that day and hour, now he's transitioned to the second coming, he said, 
Knoweth no man, no, not the angels, but my Father which is in heaven. No man knows when. We just have to be ready. 20, Matthew 24, 36. Matthew 24, 42 says the same idea. We've got to be ready. We don't know when. John 5, 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. It's from God. We're always a heartbeat away from having our fate sealed. So therefore, it's nigh in that sense. And in another sense, we don't know when, so it could be at any moment. And no one can abide it except through the one way out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. And he said unto them, Mark 16, 15 and 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. If you've never obeyed the gospel, why not this morning? If you have and you've strayed away, why not come back before it's everlasting too, everlastingly too late? Because no one can abide it. It's coming. And we don't know when. If we can help you, please come while we stand and while we sing.